ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to These Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Joining me, as always, Zach Bartle. Zach, what's going on, man? Dude, I am just having fun over here mentally pronouncing the name Pickowitz. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. That in reference to our special guest, which if you follow us on Facebook or Twitter, we did tweet out. We have uh, Nate Pickowitz joining us. Nate, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. We want to uh, get into our discussion, but as always, we want to throw many shouts out to Mission Aware and all their fine products that they have over there. Zach, what have you been uh, digging on in Mission Aware lately? Uh, well, what I've been doing with Mission Aware is closing high-level deals. Nice. Uh, for example, we've got them now selling the Christian Gentleman's Smoking Companion, which me and Ted Cluck uh, put to paper these many years ago. And uh, still the one shirt, but they have lots of great, these go to 11 items. And you know what I found out? You know what I found out? That there's a a reason behind all this. The reason there's just one gut check shirt and there's there's many of these go to 11 shirts Uh is because very few people have bought the gut check shirt. And to him who has, more will be given. And to him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And so... The, 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 the listenership to these go to 11 being, I thought, and I still think, about the same in number to the other uh, is apparently more prone to put their money where their ears are and, uh, and buy some stuff from Missionaware. So that's great. Dope. Dope. Nice. So check out Mission Aware. Check out all the fun products. Check out the Gentleman Smokers Guide. We had you on talking about that a uh, few years ago. We need to. Uh, I think we need to rehash that with uh, with your business partner there, Ted, and uh, and do that again with both of you on. Yeah, it'd be fun. Maybe get like Jared C or somebody on who's uh, uh, Joey Thorne, somebody who who lights up once in a while too. That could be fun. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. Um, so check out Mission Aware, uh, and without. Further delay. Um, now, I think we did, Zach, tease a little bit that we were going to do like an Ant-Man Wasp review and a skyscape, Skyscraper review, which... Uh, I, I didn't get out to see Skyscraper, man. Not yet. Okay. Okay. I did get out to see it. I, I liked it. It was good. It was really good. Was um, it exactly what you thought it would be? Actually, You know, I actually thought it was a little better than I thought it was going to be. Oh, that's nice. So, yeah. I actually... I think I enjoyed it a little bit better. And I, I mean, you know, I thought it was going to be a typical, you know, Dwayne Johnson movie. So, um, you know, for that, it was it was pretty good. Um, <laughs> Caveats all over the place. That's right. Um, but a guaranteed dirt. It was actually all right. <laughs> but this person needs no caveats. Nate Pickowitz. Um, now, Zach, you actually um, kind of had me, um, you know, jump in and, and arrange this. Um, off of a series of tweets you guys had going back and forth. So I'm going to go ahead and let you <laughs> take the lead on this one. So uh, take it away. Yeah, and I'd like to pretend, uh, uh, I guess I got, I got two Nathans on the line now. So I'm going to go with Nathan and Nate. I'm going to call Nathan Bell Nathan. I like to pretend that you're my uh, secretary from time to time <laughs> and just give you tasks, <laughs> give you administrative tasks. And don't you worry, when Administrative Professional Day comes around, I'm going to take you to a special lunch at TGI Fridays. <laughs> Uh, dude, or, you could you chot- could uh, you could get away with taking me to Chick Fil A, man. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> dude, when I get down to Baltimore, and I'm talking probably about next fall, I'm gonna buy you some Chick Fil A. Nice, it's gonna happen. All right, nice. so um, I I saw this tweet. 
from this gentleman who, whose name I recognized, uh, and I saw it three or four times in the course of about an hour. Um, and here's a funny thing. Recently, I've had something I did get you know hundreds of likes out of nowhere, and it was me screenshotting somebody else's Twitter's <laughs> Twitter <laughs> and putting it on my Facebook. And uh, and what I saw was uh, I think it was our boy uh, Jared, yeah, um, who had grabbed I first saw it, grabbed this uh, off Twitter and posted it. And it's an Andy Stanley tweet. It says, millennials are leaving the faith like crazy. Skinny jeans and moving lights won't get them back. Get them back. Uh, but something will. Join me for the deep and wide tour, and we will figure it out together. Deepandwidetour.com. Do you think and that's going to be their theme song? The deep and wide song? How's that go? You've never heard that? Deep oh, really? Deep and wide. Oh, yeah. Deep and wide. Oh, like a Sunday school one. Yeah, yeah I know that one. Yeah, I, I highly doubt it. <laughs> um, that would be kind of money, but I don't think that I don't think he's got that sense of irony, you know, just based on what I know about. Uh, I, I don't know if he's a Reverend Stanley or what he is, but uh, uh, and then it, what, it was, you know, kind of Russian nesting dolled inside a quote tweet by one Nate Pickowitz. Uh, and are we saying that right, Nate? That's right. Excellent. You know that that's like the kind of name with which you cannot fail, right? <laughs> I had a ball with that when I was in kindergarten, man. And I've heard every nickname and every joke, and I've heard it all. So, Did anyone ever call you Nate Poppinzitz? That just came to me right now. You know, I have, that's actually brand new. I've never I, heard that one before. I, but I, thank you. Thank you for that. That's great. Hey, anytime I want something like that, I just access the uh, sixth grader that it lives permanently in my brain. Yeah, and out that's it comes. nice. Way, really, way to edifying the brethren. That's good, brother. Thank you. <laughs> I'm burying the heck out of the lead here because the whole point of all this is that uh, Nate Pickowitz had written, they're showing up at small Bible churches, M-dash, loving the M-dash use, seeking expository preaching because they want to understand the word of God. And about 17,000 people responded to it, and I'm, I'm exaggerating. Um, but he got quite a bit of traction, a lot of retweets, about 100 retweets, and then about 500 likes. And uh, I said to him, we should probably have you on These Go to 11 to talk about that viral tweet and to talk about uh, your latest book. And he said, all coquettish and coyly, is it viral? <laughs> and so maybe that's the first question before we even get to the meat of the matter. What makes a tweet viral? Where's the cutoff? I have no idea. I mean, I've been doing Twitter for, I don't know, a couple of years. And I've had, a, I've had a few tweets that have done well. But like when I think about viral, I think about, um, I mean, maybe I'm just thinking explosive. When you see like a, you know, a, a tweet of some puppy with a silly look on his face and it gets like, you know, 20,000 retweets, like that's, in my mind, that's viral. Like a couple hundred people, that doesn't seem viral, but I don't, I don't know how one defines viral. I don't, I don't really know. As Todd Friel says, I don't understand the Twitters. I don't get it. <laughs> I feel like once it jumps from Twitter and it becomes like an image on Facebook and this kind of stuff, oh, yeah. you know, it kind of takes on. I got tagged on, in a couple of those, yeah. So it's got legs now. It's, it's actually left Twitter and it's running around the internet. I don't know that <laughs> something viral, but what do you think, Nathan? Well, actually, I decided to um, actually do a little bit of research while you guys were chatting it up. <laughs> Ooh. Do you have that capability in your studio? I, I do, actually, because I have my uh, cell phone right here with me. 
Um, so careful, it's low on battery, man. It is. I know. I might have to. Uh, I might have to use this as backup if uh, my Skype goes out. Um, but apparently, uh, there's like 25 different parameters that uh, count as something going viral. But like one of the main ones is if something has more than a million um, views or tags or hits or something like that. Yeah, not even close. But the thing is, it's got to be relative. I mean, Nate, you've probably got uh, not quite twice as many Twitter followers as me. Let me see where you were standing at. Oh, never mind. You got more than twice as many Twitter followers as me. You're, you're up there near, you know, your next stop is 10,000. Um, so I've got, you know, whatever, 1,300 or something. And if I had 500 likes on a tweet, I would go, oh, hey, that's right, something. Right. If I had 100 likes on a tweet, I would get crazy excited. Um, and, you know, I know that the, a lot of times the, the things that go really viral are from, you know, someone with very few followers or not a big platform or, or not really an authority on anything. But I don't know. It seems to me that when somebody's a, a single tweet or, or a post or whatever exceeds the normal amount of interaction in a big way, We've gotten to the point where, I don't know, in my mind, it's sort of like a hack, right? You remember when in order to be a hacker, you had to be like in a room typing madly on like a monochrome screen computer surrounded by empty jolt cans and empty cartons of Chinese food while the cops are closing in. Now, a hack is like I used, a, you know, hair tie to hold the cables together behind my computer. Boom, that's a hack. Like, like it's a word that's sort of slowly lost its edge. And I think viral viral marketing is stuff that just kind of happens on its own without paying per impression. And a viral post, and eh, maybe I'm part of the problem. I don't know. Um, making well, sure. Well, I think there's something to it. I think you know. I, I think you're right that it is relative because I mean, you know, Justin Bieber can tweet out "Hey" and get you know thousands of retweets and interaction, and because he's got a massive platform and he's just you know his persona is viral. But I think in Christian Twitter. Everything is just smaller. It's just uh, it's dialed down, and the stuff that we think is substantial or things that we think are valuable, um, it's going to be a way different market if you could use the word than than someone in, in maybe secular or popular culture. So, our our Twitter is very different than the world's Twitter, if you could say. Um, so I think I think what you know what happens with us is a, a completely different world, and we measure it differently because you know our biggest if you could say celebrity leaders and pastors are dwarfed by the rest of regular Twitter. So it is kind of a microcosm of itself, you know? I wonder uh, though, if uh, John Piper were to tweet, Hey, right now, how many likes and retweets it would get Four. ah, no man. <laughs> what does that guy got? Like there, there are a few with, with, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands yeah, of followers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's stuff. probably, I mean, just, thinking about it he's probably the biggest one that's within sort of cons accepted conservative i mean rick warren has you know a couple million or whatever like that but it's he's not engaging with the same crowds that we're engaging with so i mean piper is probably the biggest guy on twitter right now but i don't know i mean it there's so many circles you know but i i think you know you do have to look at you know the following i mean for some reason the, the folks that follow me um they engage pretty well I don't know if it's because of the way that I got the followers. I didn't start off with some, 
you know, tactic to, to build up a huge number. It's all, it's just grown organically over the last four or five years. And so, um, the people that interact, uh, they interact really well. So I, I tend to get a lot more traction on tweets than maybe other folks of the same, uh, you know, follower account, maybe just because of the way I interact. It's just different. I suppose. So for, but yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. Like it, I don't, I don't know why I get the traction I do, but, but once in a while I'll tweet something and it does better than normal. And, uh, nine times out of 10, I'm like, Oh really? You know, <laughs> that, you're going to like that. <laughs> or I'll spend, I'll spend, you know, 20 minutes working on something really clever and it gets like 12 and I'm like, ah, oh, that's out to waste, you know? So it's, I never know. It's, it, it's a, it's a mystery of what's going to pick up and what's not. So I think really the takeaway here, um, is that, the people who follow you on Twitter should follow me on Twitter because that sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, follow, follow Zach and uh, what, what, what can you promise them? You have to entice people. You know, oh, man. You know, it's you know got to be like, uh, you know, follow this person for great, great quotes or insightful uh, whatevers or good article. Like, there's got to be a hook. You know, you got to give them something. Yeah, that's probably why I have been on Twitter for like three years and have 1,300 followers because I don't. I don't put any thought into it. I just like uh, once in a while I'll think either something funny and I'll quick bang it out on my phone, or I'll see an article, or mo- or you know I'm I you know I'm I'm a author and I, I am in a suspense author group with um, you know like Terry Blackstock and and uh, Danny Petrie and all these kind of big name authors and we tweet each other's stuff. So I'm often banging out you know promos for it's kind of a grab bag and I think that's not a good way to curate an online persona, a social media account um, that, you know, it just kind of strikes as rando and that's all right. I don't even, I don't even so much. uh, I I was just, I was just kidding. I don't even want your Twitter followers, man. Keep (laughs) them. But they're great people, man. You got, you got to love the people that, uh, that support you online. You know, it's uh, I, you know, in, in all seriousness though, I think there's something to it. I mean, like Twitter, I like Twitter in a different way than I like Facebook, but Twitter is great because you get to engage with people in a, in a very sort of real and visceral way, and you can sort of build a community. Like, I've actually made legitimate friends from mm-hmm. Twitter that I wouldn't have made otherwise. I mean, there, there's a couple folks that are, you know, challenging and maybe a little bit strange, but for the most part, everybody who's been engaging has been really genuine. And uh, and so I think if you sort of build build your engagement around that, that, look, I'm going to be edifying with my tweets. I want to be, you know, engaging. I want to be honest. I want to be biblical as much as possible, not be nasty. It's not going to be like, if you tweet at me, I'm going to, you know, take your head off the next minute, like try to create a, an atmosphere where people actually want to talk to you and don't think that you're just a big jerk, you know? So I think that, I think there's such an edge to Twitter that I think believers especially are, um, they're refreshed by someone who doesn't, take a shot at them, you know, and when people take a shot at me, I, I really just, I ignore them as much as I can because I don't have time for that. And I don't think most real people do either. So I think there's a way to engage that, that, you know, I think people gravitate and I think the tweets get traction because, um, you know, I'm a real person. Like I'm not, you know, it's not just all promo and it's not edgy and nasty and, you know, visceral, you know, I, I just try to be authentic as much as i hate that word authentic by the way but you know (laughs) if you could if i could baptize the word again and say okay that's what it is it's real you know so if there's anything to that oh quick update guys um i have twitter open and uh your tweet of andy stanley's tweet 
just hit 1 million interactions. So it is viral now. <laughs> yep. Nice. I got to I got to say though. So I heard I heard Frank Turk, Turk on, the gut check, on on the Gut Check podcast probably 2 years ago. It was right before or right after he retired from blogging and eventually uh, left Twitter altogether, but he, it was a great interview, and I remember him saying specifically, because I remember you were talking to him about uh, Twitter and about the whole microcosm of it, and he said this. He said, Twitter fame is fake fame. Mm-hmm. He said, it, it's not measurable. It's not valuable. You can't do anything with it. He's just, you know, he said, we just create these celebrities out of nowhere, and he said, you know, they don't really have any value. He says, you know, my, some, I'm paraphrasing now, but he said, my worth in terms of the kingdom, is what I can do in my own church. And he talked about you know, having uh, an active presence in his church versus an active presence online. So that really stuck with me. Mm. You know? So I have the Gut Check podcast is in my DNA somewhere uh, because of that, because I've been thinking about his words for the last couple of years, that there's, you have to measure those out. You know, if, I'm, if I'm engaging online, but my life isn't getting traction at home, then I've got to reevaluate something. Mm-hmm. Wise words from Turk. I feel like he said that like four years ago on the Gut Check podcast, and then Nathan he said the same thing like a month ago right, on our when podcast. We had him on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he had to get off Twitter. He was just out of things to say, right? It was just like, oh, he's consistent. <laughs> yeah, our boy's consistent. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we're just trying to bust his uh, how you say chops a little bit. I mean, uh, yeah, but he'll never that. know because he doesn't come on anymore, right? So he nah, doesn't he, know. He'll, 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 he know, he knows he's, he's it? around. He's you in know. the, yeah. my, my boy's in the ether as they say, but, uh, <laughs> I want to talk about the, the content then. I mean, like we, we could talk about why that resonated with 500 people or whatever. I mean, and, and it wasn't just, I mean, it was like quick is what, what made me feel like it was going viral. And then you're right. It did kind of just stop because apparently your people just like dogpile on one thing, go, wow, that was great and move on. Um, <laughs> you're right. But, uh, like, I, I think just the notion of it is worth discussing. Sure. It, it's fun to me that Andy Stanley, who I don't, I don't want to besmirch the guy. I, I really do despise much of his theology. I, I hate with all the fire of my faith the, like, move beyond the old ter- – what was the term he used recently? Unhitch. Like, unhitch from the old time. Ter- like, I, I, that's like – burn it at the stake not him burn it at the stake burn you know i mean that's that's mm-hmm. horrible right. heresy but right. i'm not saying the guy is in his core you know a, a heretic i'm saying uh, sometimes the apple falls far from the tree and i think it's kind of amusing in a weird way that he's going to come on with this with this pronouncement that being hip and positive and having a glossy flashy presentation isn't going to bring people back Let's figure out what is. And obviously, you also found that amusing and, and very succinctly just said, you want to know? I'll tell you. But subtext, you don't really want to know. Right. Am I right? Right. So the thing with Andy Stanley, I mean, there's a lot of people who've been dogpiling on Andy Stanley, and I think some of it's deserved and some of it's probably not. Um, but I mean, I've, I've just been watching. So I got into pastoral ministry, I guess, about six years ago, and through the whole thing, I've been watching all of these every three to six months. Some article will come out, or some video thing, or something he'll say, and I'm watching this progression. And it's been going on for years, but I've been made aware of it 
where first it's, you know, he's dogging on expository preaching. He's calling it lazy. And that's, oh, you know, you need to know what you're. Remember that. Oh, it's awful. But I he's, forgot you know, all about that. You need oh, to yeah. know what your people are, are, what they need. And expository preaching, that's just lazy because you're not, accept, you know, a, uh, assessing their needs and their, you know, in the moment. And so he dogpiles on expository teaching. And a few years later, he, he starts dogpiling on people who are leaving his big, huge mega church and going and finding smaller community churches. And he's saying, nice. look, your kids don't have a youth group at your small community church. And he said, to, he's speaking to the congregation and to the world at large, stop being so stinking selfish. And he's berating people for leaving the megachurch complex to go and bring their family to a small Bible church. So all of this is in the background. Then he's you know, un- unhitching from the Old Testament and unhitching from the Bible and talking about the Bible says is a bunch of garbage. And we have to go with, what does Jesus say? Which is, you know, it's a it's a it's an illogical statement because without the scriptures, you don't know what Jesus says. Mm-hmm. So it's just all these things over and over and over again, and he's driving driving the nail in the coffin. And the thing about it is, is I pastor a really small church in northern New England where the Christianity is not assumed. I mean, there's no cultural Christianity. I don't live in the Bible Belt. I mean, this is a an unreached people group as far as most people are concerned. So I have a small church. And when you start attacking small churches and, and people who are going to a small church for Bible teaching, you're, you're attacking the people who God has placed under my charge. Mm-hmm. And so I don't care if you pick on me as an expositor. I don't care about that at all. But don't go after the people who are trying to do what they believe in their conscience is the right thing. And don't attack expository preaching because Jesus said it's, uh, it's through the truth is what sanctifies. So the scriptures are what sanctify uh, Ephesians chapter 5. I mean, you can go on and on and on. So when I see him tweet and sort of lament that people are leaving, he says leaving the faith, I think it really is just leaving his church. When he perceives this mass exodus and say, oh, gee whiz, we got to put our thinking caps back on and figure out what to do to get them back. It's like, I know why we left. My wife and I left the mega church a number of years ago. We went to find a Bible church. And I've talked to dozens of people, dozens and dozens and dozens of people that I know personally who have done the same exact thing. They've left the megachurch complex, and I say megachurch not meaning large church, but just this branded system. They've left this secret church because they want to go find a church that's going to minister the word of God to them. So I, you know, and someone tweeted me and asked me if I have stats on it. I'm like, no, I don't have any stats. I'm sorry, I can't plug that into your spreadsheet. But I just know people, and I've talked to lots of people, and that's been their story. So I get a little bit zealous because... You know, you can poo-poo these people who are going to leave and go find doctrine and scripture, but then don't lament. Don't come and complain to us when they start vacating your church. So that was the whole thing behind it, and I just picked a couple words, threw them together, and just let it fly. I am I think it's funny, A, that from my perspective, um, a lot of small church pastors, uh, and, and you know, at this point, we've got this disparity like the growing wage gap here where there's no church middle class barely. Nathan actually goes to one um, that's fairly large but not massive um, mm-hmm. and, and amazing expository preaching. I've listened to plenty by, by Greg Dutcher. Um, yep. But, there, you know, for the most part, you've got churches that are 100 or less and you've got churches that are, what, like 8,000 or more. It's, it's something like that. Right. Um, so from where I'm sitting, I hear a lot of people at small churches saying, like, I feel like everybody is leaving and going to the mega church. So what a weird little glimpse into into the eyes of the mega church, um, you know, ultra mega church leader to hear him lament, oh, right. people are leaving and going to these 
you know, small churches. And, and it's it's funny to me that ultimately there really is – it's not as big as they would have us believe, but there is an increase in the number of nuns, in the number of people who've left the faith. Or I've heard the, uh, others called the duns, right? Those who were raised in the church and were just like, I don't need this. Right. It's boring right. and it's hateful. Um, so – at, at, you know, why, if, if they're leaving my church, my brand, um, you know, my mega ministry, but they're still within Christianity, eh, who cares, right? right, right. <laughs> I mean, and the, th- the thing about it is, and, and again, I want to just make this clear that, I mean, some of my heroes of the faith pastor large churches. There's a way, I think, to do large church in a way that still ministers to people and, and shepherds them. I think you can do it. Spurgeon um, but- did it. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, John MacArthur's done it. Mark Dever does it. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of pastor R.C. Sproul. You got it. So you know, you can you can do it, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I think that when you when you have people and you sort of keep them hostage, and you don't have enough pastors to feed them, and you have them believing that well, if they're not being fed, it's because they're selfish and it's not about them. And I've blogged about this. Um, I think it's abusive to people who actually do want to grow, and you guilt them and you shame them into staying plugged into a, a, a system or a machine that's designed to attract seekers, but it's not designed to shepherd the flock of God. So mm-hmm. it really has – it's not a matter of the size. It's a matter of what you're actually doing with God's people. And, you know, again, yeah. I'm, not at, I'm not at North Point, so I don't know what they're doing. But, but when you stand up on a national or even a worldwide stage and you actually badger and belittle Christians for making decisions about what they're going to do with their family, I think it's irresponsible. I think it's, I think it's sinful. And this is what uh, Chris Roseborough would call a good old-fashioned uh, sheep beating, um, which is something he used to say frequently when he'd play like a clip of Perry Noble, uh, kind of oh, going yeah. off on people for wanting him to visit the, them in the hospital or, or to feed them more. Um, and, and that kind of thing, you know, it really irks me. But what's funny is it's new. I mean, we mentioned a bunch of people who are right in our – you and I are the same breed of cats pretty much. I mean, right in our little – slice of the tiny little thin slice of the the uh, pie graph but i mean even looking back to when i was growing up guys like uh, chuck swindoll big church huge church well-known household name i can't even fathom him kind of sectioning off his brand and protecting it no um rather he was kingdom driven you know and right. and i mean D. James Kennedy. I mean, you just go on and on with with big, big church pastors, who with whom I would never, uh, you know, have this kind of a, a beef. And it's it's a very. I think it. I think it ties back to Twitter. I think it ties back to social media. I think it ties back to tribalism uh, and and branding and promoting ourselves and presenting ourselves in a particular way, where. There's almost like you remember in a few good men, unit core, God country. Right. And you go, whoa, I think God ought to be higher country too. Um, it's almost like brand identity, tribe, God, church, you know, something like that. Right. Right. And, and I mean, I, I my church is um, we've got one hundred and twenty seven members or something right now. Um, and, and some who, who have been quite active who aren't members. But but that's that's small. I can easily fall into that myself. It, it, you're right. It's not a. It's not a strictly a size thing. It's a point of view. Right. Right. I mean, I think too. You know, and I'm not. I'm not saying this is true of all. Um, you know, pastors who sort of have a a branded thing again, because I mean, it's 
a lot of it has to do with just marketing and how you present yourself and so on and so forth. If you have resources, if you have online streaming and, you know, whatever. But I think the spirit of that, the spirit of those who would uh, yell and scream at people and try to beat them into doing a certain thing, I think it really goes back to it's John 10. It's, it's hirelings who care nothing for the sheep. I think that's the heart of it. Now, I'm not saying every single pastor who, you know, takes issue with people in the in the pulpit uh, is doing that per se, but I, I think it's the wrong approach. I think you can't, as a pastor, uh, be abusing those who you're trying to lead and shepherd toward the chief shepherd. They don't belong to you, you know. And it's like we have we think of churches as market share. Like these are my this is my group, and it's like it's not your group at all, you know. So I just think it's. Um, I think it's a dereliction of duty, and I, I really have no—I'm a small-time guy. I have no patience for that at all, you know, and I, I discourage people from getting their uh, theology, certainly, but even even reading articles and li- videos, it's like, you know, you need to get into some good stuff. You know, read, read faithful doctrine, you know, read, read good material, read the scriptures, understand the scriptures— and, uh, yeah, I, I really just have no tolerance at all for that kind of an attitude with it when it comes to the church. Yeah, it's and it's very easy to look at, you know, big examples with big platforms where when they sure. say something stupid, lots of people hear it. I have gone back and just deleted tweets that I realized sounded uh, sectarian and uh, me glorifying and no one's noticed because you know <laughs> it, not as many people are not as many eyes are on me. Nathan, I'm curious. Um, I mean, like we have a we have a uh, logo at my church. We have a little slogan. Mm-hmm. You know, we try to create the brand identity by any other name. What do you guys got going on at uh, Christ Fellowship? There is it. Is there a, a brand identity? And if so, how do you keep from making that the the main thing? Yeah, I mean, the I think the identity comes from um, our, uh, I don't know, slogan, mission statement, you know, what, whatever, whatever we call it. I don't even really know what we call it, but our our kind of tagline is beholding Christ, and it's it's always, you know, when when our focus is on Christ, then all of the other things will kind of, you know, fall to the wayside. You know, he's he's our you know, treasure. He's our focus. He's our purpose. And so, yeah, I mean, we do some branding stuff with that and, but it's not, I don't ever feel like it's really out there. I mean, we have it on our website and of course we have somebody that takes care of our website and things like that. But, um, I think part of what really helps us, um, and a lot of people, you know, might, uh, disagree with this and that's fine is that we don't have a lot of like programs that we're trying to pitch to people. You know, we have our standard childcare when you come to church and we have, you know, we have youth group, but our, our focus and purpose in youth group isn't to necessarily go outside and bring all these kids into youth group. One of the things that I noticed in the areas when I teach is I'll talk to kids about where they go to church and a lot of kids are going to like 10 different youth groups. And, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, I, and, and it's just kind of like, okay. And, and, and it's like, oh yeah, well, they're doing this activity on this day and these people are doing this activity on this day. And, you know, and it's like, so what are you actually learning? And it's like, uh, you know, I, I don't know how to throw a football. I mean, you know, there's not, there's not a whole lot of substance going on when things like that happen, I feel like. And again, I'm speaking from my experience in my area, um, 
but our church isn't really going out there and doing that. We have VBS as our one big kind of outside ministry reach outreach that we do where, you know, parents will come who, you know, from all over the area. I think, you know, there's a group of parents who just look for, you know, continuous VBS June through August. And it's like, Oh, this yeah, week, free this, one, this week. Yeah, exactly. We'll take advantage of that any day. We'll tell them about Jesus. You go to right. spa. We don't care. Right. And, and, and that's kind of the approach that we've taken with that is, you know, this is, but VBS is directed intentionally, you know, to teach these children about, who Christ is. And I'm not saying youth groups aren't doing that and can't do that. But what I find is, you know, most people, it's about the program. And so I I think it's similar with adults too, when they go kind of looking at the brand, it's like, well, what are you offering? You know, I mean, that's, that's what branding is. Mm -hmm. It's what are you offering me? And like I said, we, we have that label, quote unquote, we have that brand, but it's not like we're trying to go out and, and drum up more business from other churches. We're in our little area and we're trying to grow our family in this area. And if you come by our church and you stop by, you know, we want to welcome you. But a lot of the conversations we have within the church are family directed. And and Greg will make those announcements in church, you know, I'm talking to this church. I'm talking to my family here because, you know, we're in community together. And so they're going to get a lot of the references and things like that. And so, you know, I think it's very intentional not to necessarily exclude people, but to say, you know, th- this is a family. And so, you know, you're going to find family problems. You're going to find family, you know, laughter and, you know, all the things that going go along with being a family. And you're welcome to be a part of that family, but if you're just kind of dropping in and out for whatever reason, it's not really going to work. Mm. I've got uh, two two thoughts on that, and I want to kick it back to Nate for a response. One is, I think you're dead right about youth groups being kind of the canary in the coal mine of this. Mm. I speak every summer I have uh, since 2000, 99, one or the other, uh, at a 7th and 8th grade camp, and it gets less and less biblically literate. Um, whether they're youth group kids or unchurched, they almost know the same amount now, yeah. which is very, very little. I said to uh, a group um, two summers ago, who knows what the gospel is? One hand came up, kind of didn't really have an answer. Then another hand came up and someone sort of said it was. And then I said, um, just out of curiosity, who knows the game Chubby Bunny? Mm. Two-thirds of the hands went up. Very excited, but all of a sudden engaged. Like, that's what they're getting in youth group. It was my takeaway. Right. Um, and, and I think that's that can be extrapolated out in a lot of ways to what we're doing, quote-unquote, for people. Um, everything but the gospel. You know, it's you know, like Laodicea was a one-stop shop, man, self-reliant. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the goal, I think. And, and you know, Sardis, uh, every, Church of What's Happening Now, Reputation for Life. Uh, lots of worrying uh, parts and lots of uh, activity. Uh, but at the end of the day, what is it about? And, you know, the other thing is that your your church, I mean, the fact that you've been able to maintain um, a, a real biblical uh, – I'm not a huge fan of mission and vision statements and stuff, but, right. but vision in general um, – is is really I think noteworthy considering that your pastor founded the church and planted the church and I think and, and I have friends who are church planners who will who will back me up on this there is a bigger danger for this kind of thing 
for feeling like it's, you know, it's all personally, it's me, it's, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm on the line. Um, when, when one has planted it and grown it and bled into it. And so it's, it can certainly be done, um, where probably every day or every week, the church planter slash pastor has to say, I give this back to you. I keep on wanting to get my grubby fingers on it. I got to give it back to you. Right. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we've all seen the coloring book page where so-and-so uh, gave us the vision and we'll defend it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and ugh, I don't know. There, there's, a, there's a danger in that when I think the church is mine. Right. Uh, what do you think, Nate? Yeah, so we, we planted the church that we're in right now as well. I mean, uh, our church has been there five and a half years, and so it's I, I resonate with that. And there's so much of me that you know wants this to go well, but I think uh, there's a there's a mortification where this this is not mine. You know, I I control a little tiny bit of it, which has to do with the preaching and teaching. But in terms of what it is, uh, it belongs to Christ, and it, it's it's run by uh, the members uh, of the body. So. Um, you know, I think kind of going back to the whole branding thing, I don't think the issue is with branding because, again, you know, you can have a great ministry that's got great branding. It looks good. It's sharp. It has sort of a, you know, when you when you log on to, you know, Ligonier or Grace to You or any one of those, you're expecting to get a certain quality and a certain thing and a certain temperament. And, you know, that that's fine. I think it's actually helpful. But I think the issue for me, the reason, the thing, the thing that gets me the most um, uh, up on my haunches, which is kind of where the tweet came from, um, is when when you're playing into the consumerism, where it really isn't about the people, it really isn't about the mission of God. It's really just about getting people into your brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about you know doing whatever you're going to do to perpetuate what you have, and it's not actually shepherding the flock. Um, I mean, I'm all for conferences and and promo and books and free stuff and programs, and it's it's fine. Uh, but what what is it actually doing? And are you shaming people? because they don't want to play along. Um, that's the thing that bothers me, is the shaming of the bride of Christ. That, that's the stuff that gets me crazy. So, uh, but big church, branding, that, it doesn't matter. That's fine. You know, it's, uh, uh, if anything, I think a lot of small, small church pastors are you know, uh, envy, envious in a godly way. Oh, that'd be great to have you know, a budget for this or a, you know, a look for that. Or, it's great, you know. But uh, again, I really just, I think it does go back to um, uh, protecting the flock and, and keeping people, not charging them with sin if they haven't actually committed sin. Yeah. So, so you're saying that uh, maybe the uh, pointing the finger and shaming has to do with uh, an implication that people are being unfaithful to a particular um, congregation and uh, even industry within the church. Nathan, I think if you want a great like kind of clickbait title for this episode, uh-huh. slut shaming the bride of Christ. Ooh. Oh my word! No, don't do that. that that's don't not do that. good. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, I think well, there's a natural segue from this into your your book, and of course, everybody last year all over the place was was uh, you know Protestant, Protestant Reformation, 500 years, et cetera, et cetera. We waited. No, we didn't. But we're still talking Reformation. It wasn't a fad for us here at these go to eleven. That's right. Um, <laughs> so it's not that we're late to any parties. We've we've been at the party, and uh, and we're just not going home. We went home, showered, checked our mail, and came right back. And uh, <laughs> now we want to hear about uh, the book. Uh, what prompted you to write it? Uh, you know what what can people expect to gain from 
that and and what sets it apart from the sixteen thousand other uh, Reformation based books came out in. 2017. My wife works for Baker Publishing, so we get like basically everything for free. And I was like, man, I got to start a new shelf just for these <laughs> 500 year anniversary books. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I mean, you know, as as the uh, the 500th anniversary came along, of course, I'm sitting there talking to my wife, and I'm like, man, I want to write something, I want to do something because this is exciting. And I was thinking about is there well, back up. I wanted to, to bring our church through something, I, and I didn't want to do like a just a straight, you know, history lesson and, you know, celebrate just for the sake of celebrating. Uh, and, but what I was noticing is um, with all the, the bevy of Reformation books and Martin Luther books, and there's even been several coming out even the, the, the years prior to, um, I was finding very, very little um, on the five solas. I mean, I, ha- I mean there's a, a great five solas series that came out from Zondervan, uh, but it's five books. And I'm thinking my churches are going to read five whole books uh, just on solas. That's just not going to be something they're going to do right away. Um, so I just wanted to distill the essence of the Reformation in the five solas and do it in a way that is packaged for someone who's never actually read any of this before. And there's other books have done this, but I just I felt like I had a an approach that I really wanted to try. And so I, I preached through uh, six sermons uh, on it and really tried to not as much um, talk about the heroes of the Reformation. So I wasn't trying to put these guys on pedestals, but I wanted to talk about the doctrine of the Reformation. So uh, we went through uh, all the solas. We went through essentially what is the gospel, because I've got people in our church who are coming out of the Roman Catholic Church, and there's a lot of people in this area who don't know why they're Catholic or Protestant, or it's whatever whatever church is closest, and they, there's no distinction. Um, and so I, I really wanted to approach, okay, why, why are we Protestant? Why, what makes the difference? Why, why is the gospel the gospel? And so really trying to... Um, to not just defend the doctrine, but really also point out where we're, where it's divergent, where it's different. So um, I really tried to do a lot of things in a, in a short space of time or a short space of material and uh, put the book out uh, last uh, fall, and it did really well. I mean, people really gravitated toward it. Um, there was a lot of people, I think, that didn't have exposure to this at all, and for them it was a really great introduction um, and I, I use a lot of uh, other material, so I mean, it's not there's very, very little that's, that's original to me for sure. Um, but how to distill this into a way that's manageable for for a church who doesn't know much about it? So uh, again, it's an introduction to the five souls of the Reformation. Now you preached six sermons, you wrote 270 pages or whatever. What if I just ask you for the uh, elevator pitch? Why are we Protestant? So, oh boy, so you're going to make me distill what I've already <laughs> distilled. Okay, all right. So the, the, under, the underlying question is, how does a person get right with God? That's, that is the overarching major question. That was the, the, the touchstone of the Reformation. So the, what is called the, uh, uh, the formal principle and the material principle, the, the main principle is, was the issue of justification by faith. Um, that's the main principle of the Reformation is, how is a person justified? How are they made right with God? Is it because they, they sort of inherit some sort of kind of goodness? Is it because of works? Is it because of merit? Or is the righteousness of Christ imputed to us uh, by faith alone? So that's, that's really the question that has to get answered. And, and so the solas are built around that primary question. Certainly, sola scriptura uh, deals with, okay, what's the, what's the material that we're using? You know, what's the uh, you know, what's the formation of, of how we get our doctrine? But the real question is, well, how does a person 
uh, go to heaven? How do they get right with God? How is how are they uh, even saved? And uh, those are two those those questions get answered two very different ways when you look at the the Roman Catholic Catechism and when you look at the doctrine of the Scripture. So that's what I wanted to answer for people who didn't know was what is the major difference? And then inside of that are lots of different smaller differences. But uh, but that's really it right there. I think the the elevator got down to the ground floor and then back up to the penthouse and then back down again and then back up to the 12th floor during the elevator pitch. But well done anyway. <laughs> Did you just – wait a minute. Wait, that was an insult, wasn't it? I'm not no, very sharp. No. I wasn't very – no, yeah, Nathan so, and I would never have anyone on and then bust their balls the whole time. <laughs> Listen, I want never, to ask you, though, about never. the book itself. It, it, it's gotten really good reviews. Um, I, I, I was just, like, looking through uh, the, the interwebs last night, and I, and I saw that it was reviewed on the Cripplegate. And I went, oh, I hope they didn't – I hope they weren't too hard on the, on the guy. And it was, like, all praise. I thought, man, that didn't happen very much. Um, and you did – did you do this independently? I did. Now, now, why is it just because of the timing, or is there a reason that you that indie that this to me? I have another. I have many podcasts. I have one called Clinch, which talks about indie versus traditional. I've published both with uh, Thomas Nelson and and my own little thing. I'm wondering what what causes you to kind of gravitate toward the indie side, um, and how you think you you were able to get this out there with such great uh, kind of saturation without the resources of, of a monolithic publisher behind you? So my first book was uh, Reviving New England, and I pitched that all over town, and there was no bite. And so I did that one by myself, uh, and that did you know fairly well. It did, it did okay for a self-published book. Uh, and then when I wanted to do this one, um, I made the decision to do this in like January. And I'm thinking, I'm going to pitch this to every, all around town, and they're going to say, what's your book about? And I'm going to say Reformation. They're going to go, okay, it's 2017. There's 8,000 other books coming out by people who are better <laughs> at this than you. So it was, there was just no way I was going to get picked up. And so I just felt like if I was going to do this, um, and I, I didn't have any kind of other in. So, I mean, it, it was really the only option for me. So, um, you know, hired out the work, put it out myself, and was able to get it out really, really quickly because there's no hurdles you have to jump through. So it came out for the Reformation. And... Um, I don't know. I think I think it just struck a chord with people. Again, I think social media helps. I think uh, uh, people who follow me on Twitter, especially, uh, they really they really uh, are faithful. They're really helpful. They share content. They're supportive. They 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 go on. They they leave reviews on Amazon. Uh, I really think it was an organic thing. I mean, it did really well. So I uh, I don't know. But again, I think it I think it's the grace of God just working in the project itself. But. Uh, I, I didn't really have a whole lot of options. I mean, I'm I'm pitching a book right now to a major publisher, but I've done five titles in two years just on my own, and that's just kind of how I've had to do it. So I'm not a big marketable name, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's an interesting time to be doing this stuff because you find, and this is, I mean, this is what I to distill a whole season of a podcast down to a few minutes. Um, you find that you are able to get everything done on your timetable. You're able to get things, if you're willing to put a little into it, you're able to get things looking just as good as they would, um, reading just as smoothly as they would from a major publisher. And then you find, you know, you've got a one out of three or one out of four, one out of five kind of hit rate for what actually kind of sticks when you throw it against the wall. 
And that seems frustrating until you go, that's exactly what they have you know, over at Zondervan or right. Kriegel right. or whoever. Nobody knows how to manufacture this magic fairy dust that makes something really land. And so it's not even a fair question I ask you, you know, what, if I say, why did this, why did this work um, amidst all those other books? There's just something resonated with the right people who talk to other people and you snowball. And, and I like that you, you acknowledge God's providence in it because this is a message we believe he wants out there uh, every bit as much in 2018 as he did in, in 15, 17, right. uh, that the just will live by faith, you know, that, that to live a life of, uh, or to, to repent and, and do penance is to live a life of penitence and repentance. That's right. This is, I mean, you, you'd read some of these really sad and depressing studies and you find kids and adults in our evangelical churches don't know this stuff. Right. Um, right. Christian Schwartz and all that with the uh, not Christian Schwartz. He's Christian uh, Smith. Is that the moralistic therapeutic guy? Yeah, Christian Smith uh, pioneered yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Christian yeah. Schwartz did the natural church development, which I guess is the other side of the coin. So, yeah, okay. Okay. you know, there's a there's an awful lot of that uh, uh, out there, and we do need to get back to these solas, this reformation uh, thing. And I think a helpful tool, Nathan, you maybe back me up here mm-hmm. would be either the black t-shirt or that really <laughs> beautiful, attractive poster that missional wear puts out uh, featuring those five solas. Absolutely. Buying more <laughs> stuff is always the key. <laughs> <laughs> do we have a, do we have a, uh, like code from them that they put in like 11 or something and they get a certain percentage off? I know the happy rant has that and I'm going to be a little annoyed if we don't. We, um, so we do it every, um, for special occasions. Like I ah, think we've been like when we have Nate Pickowitz on uh, there. Hey, I can, I can, I could talk to Jeff and probably arrange something. Um, but yeah, we actually, we, we get it for special occasions, uh, when we, when we do stuff. Um, but no, as far as I know, it's not all the time. Um, so we'll have anyway. to, uh, we'll have to lay the smack down on uh, Jeff for that one. Don't even joke about that. His arms are huge. This guy. <laughs> nice. Oh man. Guys, I I got to get going here in a minute. We're we're making our former pastor pastor emeritus, and I got a few things I got to do before this meeting. Um, I wonder if you could tell us, uh, Nate, where people can find you, uh, other than following you on Twitter and interacting a whole lot, and uh, where they can find your books and that kind of thing. Yeah, so everything I've done is uh, on Amazon. Uh, you can just uh, look up all the titles. I have an author page; it's right there. So it should be pretty easy to get to and. Uh, yeah, you know, hit me up on Twitter and, you know, send me a comment. I'd love to talk to people. So uh, I'm there just about every day. So absolutely. Nice. And we'll make sure we uh, we link all your information in the show notes as well, your uh, Amazon uh, works and all that stuff. So Appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. Guys, this has been a great conversation. I enjoyed listening to every minute of it. Um, <laughs> was, are you are you grousing a little bit? You could have jumped in whenever no, 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 you wanted. No. I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. Um, no, it seriously, it was great, and I did. I honestly did enjoy um, just kind of uh, sitting back for once and just uh, listening to uh, to the interaction back and forth. It really, it really was great. I if if you I go know back how and. I felt. I know how I felt when you and Dutcher were like, and then remember the other thing that happened before Zach was around, and then the other thing, and the guy he doesn't know? (laughs) Oh, man. 
dudes. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and sign off now. Gentlemen, we just rocked the Casva. These go to 11.